You know, John Blanchard stood up from a bench. He straightened his army uniform and he studied the crowd of people that were making their way through Grand Central Station. He was looking for a girl, one specific girl, a girl that his heart knew, but whose face he didn't. He was looking for a girl with a rose. His interest in her had begun almost a year and a half before this in the Florida library. You see, he took a book off a shelf and he found himself intrigued, not with the words of the book, but with the notes that were penciled in the margin. See, the soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful, kind, humble, and loving soul in the personal notes, in the margin, in the front of the book. He soon discovered that the previous owner's name was Miss Hollis Maynard. And with time and effort, and mind you, this was 60 years before Google, with time and effort, he was able to locate her address, that she lived in New York City. And so he wrote her, he corresponded, and he invited her to do the same. The next day, he was shipped overseas for service in World War II. During the next year, the two of them grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed of love falling on fearful and fertile heart of a young soldier, and a romance began to bud. Blanchard requested a photograph, but Miss Hollis Maynard refused. She said that he really cared. It didn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, 7 o'clock right here, Grand Central Station. You'll recognize me, she wrote. I'll be the one wearing a red rose on my lapel. So at 7 o'clock, he was in the station looking for the girl whose heart he fell in love with, but whose face he'd never, ever seen. In his words, Mr. Blanchard tells us what happened next. He wrote this, A young woman was coming towards me, her figure long and slim, her blonde hair laid back by curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness. Her pale green suit was like springtime come alive. I was attracted to her. She was my type. I started towards her without even realizing I was doing it. And I entirely forgot to notice that she was not wearing a rose. You see, and as I moved towards her, a small provocative smile turned on her lips, and she whispered, going my way, sailor? Almost uncontrollably, I made another step towards her, and then I looked beyond her, and I saw Miss Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl. She was a woman well past 40. She had graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump. Her thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was quickly walking away, and I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, yet so deep my longing for the woman whose kindness, compassion, love, and spirit had companioned and upheld my own. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle, loving, and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm, kindly twinkle. I did not even hesitate from that point on. My fingers gripped the small, warm, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. I walked up to her. I knew this might not be a romantic love, 
but it would be something precious, a love even better, a loving friendship for which and I would forever be grateful. I squared my shoulders. I saluted her. I held out the book. And even while I spoke, I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. But I said, I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard. You must be Miss Maynell. And I want you to know that I am so glad to finally meet you. Would you let me take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is about, son, she said. But that young lady in the green suit who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. She said, if you were to ask me to dinner, I was to tell you that she was waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street and that this was some kind of a test. <laughs> so church, I have one simple question for you this morning. When your love is tested, how well are you doing? When your love is tested, how well are you doing? Let's pray. God, you said that they would know us by our love. Lord, you said faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And Lord, my fear is that I just don't do this very well. Would you meet us where we're at in all of our fears this morning? Would you make us brave? Would you help us to face the truth? Would you help us to stand in the glow of your love and receive it so that we might go live it? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is going to surprise you folks, but we are in 1 John this morning. <laughs> if you've not visited for a while, maybe it's been two or three years, be blessed. We're still in 1 John, just like we heard last time you were here. No, I love these times. We go through these seasons every now and then as a church where the Lord just graciously allows us to focus on Scripture and breathe it in and live it and breathe it and eat it and drink it and breathe it. And that's been this way for me in 1 John as we've talked about love, life, and light. And in 1 John 4, 15 through 21 is our text. Read it along with me if you would. Maybe open up your own Bibles this morning if you have it. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is Love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Amen? Amen. The word of the Lord. And before we go anywhere this morning, I feel like I'm compelled to stop and just do a little bit of theological teaching. I want to make sure there's a couple things in this verse that I think are often taken out of context. And I fear this morning that if we just don't address a firm biblical understanding, we will skim right by it and leave it open to interpretation. And I 
don't want to do that. Verse 16 says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I believe this is often misquoted. It's misused by universalists. Um, In fact, it has been probably since the 60s and almost every decade since that time. There has been this uh, niche, if you will, of people that feel like it is cool to be spiritual, right? It is hip. It is sexy to say God is love and love is God. And so therefore, because I love everybody, right, just love everybody, right? I know Pastor Randy wants to break out his tie-dye shirt even as I say it. Just love everybody, right? I want to be very clear about this scripture this morning, okay? God is love does not equal love is God. Let's be very clear about it. God is love does not equate to love is God. God is love. God is in his very nature and essence love, but he is also much, much more than that. And love is not God. God is much, much more than that. See, I can say that the sky is blue, but that does not mean that blue is the sky. The sky is blue. It's also many other things, but it is blue. But blue does not equal the sky. Blue is a definition used to define a certain pigment. In fact, a series of pigments that share a common trait. They are blue. The sky is not blue. The sky is atmosphere and sky and gases and So the sky is blue, but it is much more than that. But blue is not the sky. I could tell you that my wife Cindy is beautiful, and you all know that. But she's much more than just beautiful. She's kind and loving and compassionate and a prayer warrior, and she's all of these things. And beautiful is much more than just Cindy. Beautiful was the day I held my babies the first time and cut the umbilical cord. Beautiful was the day I watched my friends pray for one another. Beautiful was Pastor Randy yesterday leading a service for a man on his homecoming. Beautiful was watching the Wilmots love the rest of their family as they honored their father this weekend as he passed. Beautiful is much more than just my wife. So my wife is beautiful, but beauty is not Cindy. Love is not God. Let's be very clear. Only God is God. Only God is God. I don't care how hip, relevant, or sexy it is to say anything else. Only God is God. Love is not God, but it is our act of obedience to God and His command. Love is not our ticket to eternity, but it is our response to His eternal love towards us. Love is a command from God. We cannot worship love, but you can bet it should be our response in worship to God. Let me go even deeper here. The word love here, as many of you know, is agape. It is one of three primary words used in the, in the scriptures for love. And in particular Greek, most of us understand that the word agape is, a, is an unconditional God-like love. It is really only used in terms of God's love for us and, and our love that is based in God. But one of the things that I love about the word is there's an intonation in the Greek for agape that, that actually means preference or preferred In other words, we would say that love is in the nature of God and prefers, agape prefers a love of God. In fact, agape, when it's not centered towards God and towards one another, is an unconditional love because it prefers not only God, but prefers one another in the same way that God prefers us as his sons and daughters. 
So let's reread the verse. God is agape, unconditional love that prefers you. Whoever lives in an unconditional love that prefers God and prefers you because you are sons and daughters of God lives in God. Now that sounds a lot different than love is God and God is love and peace, harmony, and tie-dyes, right? So we got that. God is love, but love is not God. We do not worship love. Amen? I don't care what your bumper sticker or your Facebook meme says. The second thing I wanted to address right off the top was this. Verse 16 tells us whoever lives in love lives in God. Verse 20 goes on to say, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother and sister is a liar. Does this mean that if I struggle to love somebody, I do not live in God? Maybe. Maybe that's exactly what it means. Maybe we need to question, how are we living in God? How, how am I doing sustaining this life in God if I am struggling to love one another? But does that mean I should question my salvation? Is this telling me that I am no longer really a Christian because I struggle to love? Let me be very clear about something. Your Christian faith journey is a journey towards becoming who you already are. Let me say it again. Your Christian faith journey is a journey towards becoming what you are. You say, well, wait a second. Now, how, if I am it, why do I need a journey to become it? Because that's just the way God works. I love kingdom thinking. I absolutely love kingdom thinking is upside down. This is a God kind of thing, right? I mean, it's only God who says, give in the area where you're lacking. It's only God who says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's only God who says the greatest among you will be servant of all. Kingdom thinking is upside down. Kingdom thinking sent a baby to be a king. Kingdom thinking sent, sent, a, a, sent Christ so that he would die a gruesome, earthly death to give you a glorious, eternal life. He says if someone sues you, take your shirt off. Give them your coat also. <coughs> kingdom thinking is upside down. And yes, your entire Christian walk is about becoming who you already are. Isaiah talks about the vision where he sees a potter at the wheel and he says he is making it again another. How can it be it and yet be another? It can be because that's just the way God operates. You are still it again another. Your journey is a journey towards who you are. Why do I say this? Because even if you find yourself today struggling to love, the word of the Lord to you is you are a son and daughter of love, of God. And so you have it in you. You were designed, it is in your DNA, to agape one another. God does not call you to something he has not equipped you to do or become. This is hard because we are being constrained by time and space. We're linear thinkers. We see ourselves as being born, growing, getting older, and dying. It's on a timeline. So when we face challenges, when I struggle with my brother and sister, I see myself as having somebody who faces challenges. I've got to deal with the challenges. My pastor helps me. My counselors help me. My brothers and sisters help me. I start to overcome them. I backslide. I overcome a little more, and then there's victory, and there's this timeline. But see, God sees you victorious and struggling all at once. He's outside of time and space. He does not see us as linear. He sees you in heaven with him the day he sees you born at the same time. He is eternal thinking. So your journey is becoming who he already sees you as you are. You are loving. You are loving. You are a son and a daughter, and you have the ability to honor sons and daughters even when they're not acting like sons and daughters. 
because you are loving. Why is that important to me? Because I want you to understand that the Spirit of God fulfills the promise of God by use of the Word of God. The Spirit of God fulfills the promise of God by use of the Word of God. So in this instance, I am telling you that you are becoming what you already are. You are maturing. You are growing. Right? Verse 17 says, this is how we know it is being made complete. New King James Version says it's being perfected so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, etc. In other words, this thing, this loving thing that you might be challenged and struggling with, doesn't mean you're not saved. It means it's being perfected in you. And that is a process. Okay, Romans 5, the promise says that you are being made righteous. The promise in Job 12 says that you are growing with Him in wisdom and strength. The promise in 2 Peter says we will grow in grace and knowledge. You are becoming what you already are. The Spirit of God fulfills the promise of God by use of the Word of God. So we understand that God is love and that does not equate to love being God. And that when we struggle, we can face the challenge, reorient ourselves to Christ, live in Him in a greater measure, but it doesn't mean we have to question our salvation. Amen. Are you with me so far? So here is my fear, having said all of that. My fear is that in explaining to you that you don't have to question your salvation, that I have just given you a loophole. I've given you, you're out. You can check out now. Then I don't have to listen to the rest of what Wayne says. I don't have to wonder if the Spirit's going to confront me this morning. I don't have to wonder. I can just go on struggling to love because I'm in process. It's okay. You see, as Christians, and I know personally in my own feeble life, my own feeble attempts to follow the Lord and to live right, we love loopholes. Oh my gosh, we eat them up. Right? Pastor Dan a couple weeks ago was preaching for 1 John and he talked about how we'll go as far as to leave and find another church rather than following God's command to love certain people. In fact, he specifically said we've created a Christianity that no longer requires us to love others because loving others is really hard. And he was right. Did you hear his words? What he was saying is we've given ourselves a loophole. We've given ourselves an out. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a great picture of this in Luke 10, right? There's one occasion where Jesus is teaching, and an expert in the law, a lawyer, stands up, and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is so cool, right? Jesus, is so cool. Jesus knows how to deal with you, and he knows how to deal with me. He knows how to speak my language, and he knows how to deal with lawyers. You do not get sucked in to a conversation of questions and examinations with legal experts. So what does Jesus do with his question? He lawyers him up. <laughs> he gives him a question. Well, what's written in the law? Jesus says to him. In fact, he says, how do you read it? <laughs> I love that. The lawyer tries to give him. He's looking for the loophole, right? The legal expert's trying to catch him. Looking for the loophole. And Jesus just answers his question with a question. And he's answered, well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a legal expert in the law. My guess is he's there at the feet of Jesus being taught. If you were to look at his life from the outside, he could probably check the box 
whether it was true or not inwardly, that would prove to you that he is loving the Lord as God with all of his heart and his soul. He's spending his time in the synagogue. He knows the law. He's an expert in the law. He is sitting at the feet of Jesus being taught. We go to church. We go to life group. We give. We tithe. We pray. If you were to look at my life from the outside, I've got the boxes checked. I am loving the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, all my time. Oh, did you see my tax return? And Jesus said, you've answered this correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, wanting to what? Justify himself, asked, then who is my neighbor? Jesus is cool, right? Jesus is cool. Jesus says, well, let me tell you about this guy coming down the street. He doesn't even answer his question. He doesn't even answer his question. He says, let me tell you about this guy. See, there's this guy coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, i.e. a Jew, right? Lawyer's a Jew. Legal expert's a Jew. Let's talk about this Jew. And he's passing these other Jews, and they rob him, and he's passing these other Jews, and they walk right by, and he's passing this priest, and the priest goes to the other side of the street and doesn't even pay attention to him, and then comes along a good Samaritan. Oh, just the use of those two terms together. Good Samaritan to a, Jesus, to a Jewish legal expert, right? There are no, they didn't even acknowledge Samaritans, much less that any of them could be good. He says, the Samaritan does this, and he does this, and he clothes him, and he writes, and then he comes back, and he puts him on the and he takes him to an innkeeper, and he gives him money, and he does all this stuff. And then he says, now, let me ask you, who was the neighbor? He can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He says, the, that, the one guy who had mercy on him. <laughs> yeah. So I tell you, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Legal experts love loopholes. We as Christians, we love loopholes, but God speaks right directly through our loophole on this one issue. Let me say it more clearly. Brothers and sisters, we have no out when it comes to love. We absolutely have no out. But you don't know the morning I had. You have no out. I stood in traffic court one day before this gal who explained to the judge why she was going so fast. She said, because I got up late. I didn't have time to put on my makeup. I was late. It was only my second day of class at the community college. That's why I was caught off the campus speeding. And not only that, if you knew the fight that I was in my, with my mother at that time on my cell phone, And as she just talked herself right into this ticket, the judge finally looked at her. I'm serious, I'm like five feet away, just going, oh my gosh, does she not have a parent? I mean, what? The judge says, you're telling me all this because you want out of the ticket? And she says, I guess the last thing I want to say is, this is the first time this has ever, ever, ever happened to me the whole time I've had my license. The entire time. And I just thought maybe you'd be easy on me. And the judge leans back and he looks at this piece of paper and he says, you got your license four weeks ago. <laughs> We're always looking for an out. We have an excuse for every behavior we exude. We do the same thing. If someone isn't the right color, the right social status, we want justification to behave a certain way. 
if they don't belong to the right church, if they aren't the right sexual orientation, if we don't like their politics, their Facebook posts, or their tweets, if they don't meet our criteria in some way or another. We say, if they just were this way, but God says, love them. We say, if they were more responsible with their money, Lord, I would heed your call to help them financially right now. And God says, love them. If they weren't so toxic, if they weren't so just out there with their social media, God says, love them. But they believe this about sex. They voted for this candidate. Have you read their Facebook posts lately? God says, love them. I love this one. I was in this conversation with somebody just this last week. But love tells the truth, right? I mean, that's the ultimate sign of love. That's the ultimate sign. Love tells the truth. So I can say this on my Facebook post to this person and shout it out in public and call them out because love would tell them the truth. I mean, Jesus called that group a brood of vipers in the Scripture. I mean, he turned over tables in the synagogue, right? That was love, right? Let me be very clear about this loophole that we all, including me, give ourselves on this one. Jesus was there to live, love, and die for these people. And he is truth. Walking, personified truth. And until you can say the same, my encouragement is this. Faith, hope, truth, love. Yes, they're good things. Of course they're good things. But the greatest of these is it just wasn't said any more plain or clearly than this. Is truth good? Yeah. And given a choice between the two, love. Love. Love them to truth. We give ourselves loopholes. And then we jump through the loopholes and we turn around and we cover up the evidence with our churchianity. No, I didn't mean our Christianity. I meant our churchianity. We do this all the time. We find the loopholes. We crawl right through them for ourselves, give ourselves that excuse, that out. And then we turn around and we'll meet about it. We'll, we'll pray about it. We'll fast about it. Yes. We'll study it. We'll study that. See what the Lord has to say to me. Can you imagine when Casey was younger and I looked at her and said, you know what, honey, before you go see Maddie tonight, I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your room. And she goes into her room for a few minutes and after just a couple of minutes, she walks out and I know... There's no way she was in there long enough to even pick up two things. And she says to me, Dad, I want you to know I prayed about it. <laughs> and I studied it. In fact, I looked up the verb to clean in the original Greek. <laughs> Listen to me. There is a time for studying the Word of God, and there is a time to pray. And Lord knows there is a time to fast. Please don't hear me wrong this morning. But on this one subject, if you're fasting, go get yourself a piece of chicken, a mouthful of taters, and get down to business. There's no ambiguity here. There's no need to do anything more. If you've been to Pete's class at all the last couple weeks, you know this from the first book of Geraldine Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. Ain't no excuse. The devil can't make you do something you don't give him permission for. And if you've been in this church for any length of time, you know that God's command in this area is clear. 
You don't need to fast about this one. You don't need to pray about this one. You don't need to study it. Now, we can pray about and study and fast about the reasons why we're struggling to love. But the command is clear. He couldn't have made it any more crystal clear. He was wise enough thousands of years ago to know that he better keep it simple because someday a scruffy kid from a broken home and a white center public education was going to stand before you having to figure out what this verse meant. And he said it is the greatest commandment. It's that simple, Wayne. You don't have to be deep from white center to figure that one out. It's the greatest commandment. Love. So the question is this. Why are we so bad at it? Why do we struggle? I don't just mean in the church with one another. I mean anywhere, anytime. Why are our marriages falling apart? Why is it we're so defensive? Why is it that when Cindy and I fight, I just, man, I just go to the deepest, deepest parts of my heart and I feel so offended and so rejected and so, so quick when I'm, when I'm with my kids. It's all about... Why is it on the road I feel the need to teach people a lesson? Several months ago, we were driving home, and I watched this car in my rearview mirror just cut people off left and right, and I just thought, oh, Lord. In my younger days, I would have just rode the line and not let them by, but I got a family full of kids here, and my wife, and so I just slowed way down. <laughs> he was going to be able to get around me, but not before I made my point. And when he went flying by me, I laid on the horn, and my wife said, why? Why? Do you think you've taught him? Do you think he went, oh, gosh, that horn, that reminds me. I should be better at this. <laughs> Why? Why? Was that? I love this one. A couple years ago, we were in counseling, and, and our counselor was working us through this thing, and she coached us in this one area, and so I gave Cindy permission to say these words to me. Was that loving and was that kind? At any time in our marriage, in our conversation with our kids, with other people, I gave her permission to use this phrase. Worst decision I ever made. (laughs) Was that loving and was that kind? So she said that in the moment. Was that you don't know what's going on in this person's life? And I just rest refresh. I spoke in tongues for two minutes. Rest refresh you rest refresh. Not even a half mile later, we took the turn and went by the ball field, and I noticed out. There's several fields, if you've ever been up at the Heritage Complex there. Out on the middle of the baseball field, there were two aid cars and a fire truck. Sirens blaring. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, something must have really happened bad. Now, the corner of the eye, I noticed that weaving its way through that parking lot as fast as they could was that car that had just passed me. Headed right for the ballpark. Now, I don't know what happened. I don't know the end of that story. But I can tell you what happened in here. Why did it matter? You never know what someone else is going through, so why? Why does it matter? My call was never to understand them. My call was just to love. To love. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and get that prepared for us. We take communion on the first Sunday of every month. But as we prepare to take communion, I want to simply ask you a few questions, and give you a moment to think about them. 
if we are struggling in any area in our marriages to love one another, to react out of love in response to the fact that God first loved us, instead of reacting out our defense mechanisms and the garbage from our backpacks and all that, I can promise you this. It's time we get to the root of the why because the commandment is clear. God has given us everything we need. He's made us who we need to be. The devil can't take it from us if we don't give him permission. So there's only one person, and God doesn't call Jeremy to do anything for me to love him. So if the devil can't stop me, God's made me who I need to be and given me everything I need to am, and it ain't up to Jeremy. If I'm struggling to love, there's only one person left in the equation who's got the problem. It's me. So it's time to get to the root of why. My encouragement is this. It generally happens to be two things. Not always, but most of the time. One is it's a fear in your own life that you've not yet identified. And two, it's your lack of time in the presence of true love for you. Basking in the love of the follower. Acknowledging, accepting, receiving his love for you first. How is your time with God? I can tell you that when I am short and my fuse is burning, I usually don't notice it for four or five days. And then I'm road raging or I'm mad at someone in the office for no reason. And when I stop to think about it and I ask myself the reasons... I can almost back three, four, five days, and it has something to do with either a fear that I haven't acknowledged yet and given to the Lord, or just time with Him. One of the tools that I use is I ask myself the five whys. The five whys. Why? Let me give you an example. I was walking into church. There was a season where I had been the pastor of worship in the arts here at LifeSpring for several years, and I stepped away from that role. And that was a difficult time to step away from, and I was kind of burning. So we just decided to take some weeks off. We weren't going anywhere. I told Pastor Chad at the time, and Pastor Dan was our associate then. I just said, hey, we're going to kind of visit some other churches just for a couple. We're going to come here too, but we just need a, a little bit of a break. Give us, give us about two months, and then we'll be back in and ready to do whatever you want us to do next. So for about three months, we kind of came once or two, two Sundays a month. One or two Sundays we went and visited here. One or two Sundays went with some family over there. And just, it was a nice break. About month number three, I'm coming back in the door. And somebody greets us at the door. And they introduce themselves. <laughs> and asked me my name. I was smoking hot. I was so mad. I mean, they were doing exactly what they'd been asked to do, right? Pastor Randy's really good at teaching our greeters and ushers what to do. They were doing exactly what he had asked them to do. And this is a person I had known for about a year. It really made me mad. I was angry the rest of the service. Couldn't focus on the message, couldn't focus on worship, went home, flicked the fish, kicked the dog, the whole thing. I mean, I'm just really angry. <laughs> and later that night, I'm laying in bed trying to figure out why I was so mad about something so stupid that this person didn't remember me. And I said, well, I was mad because, first, why? Why? Because I didn't, they didn't remember me. Well, okay, so why is that a big deal? Well, because... I want to feel remembered. Well, why do you want to feel remembered? Well, because I've been a part of this church for, like, at that point, like 10 years. Why is, why is it important that they know that you're a part of the church the last 10 years? See, now I'm at the third why, right? Now I'm, now I'm asking myself the fourth why. Why is that? See, the five whys. The first why doesn't get you very far. Be willing to go deep with the Lord. Lord, why is that important? 
because you just stepped down from ministry and your fear is that everything you've done so far will have no lasting impact. Now I've identified the fear. Now I'm down about why number four and five, and now, I'm, now that's something I can give to the Lord and deal with, right? So now I'm realizing I am not loving this person. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with an own fear that I've got buried. I believe we have some fears in the house this morning that need to come before the Lord. Okay? And that second thing is this. We love because God first loved us. Look at the verse again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has nothing to do with punishment. But fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I'm going to play a song here now. And I'm going to ask you during the song to just ask the Lord, Lord, help me identify the fears that keep me from loving. Lord, would you call me back to time with you every day so that I bask in love and that I'm remembering that I am loved. And if I am really secure in my love for you, I will be able to spread love and I'm not going to be offended by people's whatever, their junk, their politics, their whatever. I can rise above it and I can love them. I see them as sons and daughters even when they're not walking as sons and daughters. I see them as love. I see my wife in the middle of a painful argument as a daughter whom you love and are still working on. I see myself as a son that you are still working on. I give myself a break now and then. And I can love. So we're going to start this song and I'm just going to invite you at your leisure during the song as you've dealt with the Lord, come commune with Him. Come lay those things, those fears at His feet. Come ask Him to show you anew and afresh His love for you. Amen? Let's do that.